Nine Lives, the debut album from Catalyst, grips with infinite possibility and reflects the contemporary Los Angeles jazz scene. Catalyst is more than a nine-piece band. It's a collective of producers, composers, musicians, and writers who represent a who's who of the Los Angeles jazz community. You can listen to the album on all of the major music platforms or purchase a copy through bandcamp.com. Catalyst with a K, and the album is Nine Lives. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Regulatory T-cell therapies have been pursued as treatments for cancer, but Sonoma Biotherapeutics believes these cells can be harnessed to deliver lasting and potentially curative treatments for autoimmune and degenerative diseases. We spoke to Jeff Bluestone, CEO of Sonoma, about regulatory T-cell therapies, why they may have broad applications in a range of conditions, and what challenges will need to be overcome to usher in an era of cell therapies beyond cancer. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. We're going to talk about regulatory T-cell therapies and, and Sonoma Biotherapeutics' efforts to develop these for autoimmune and degenerative diseases. Perhaps we can start there. What are regulatory T-cell therapies and, and how do they work? Sure. Um, so this is a field that has uh, really, uh, over the last two decades, exploded in our understanding of the importance of these cells in controlling everything from allergy to organ transplant rejection to autoimmune diseases. And basically, what Tregs are is a very small population of white blood cells, uh, largely circulating in the blood, but also present in tissues. And these cells have the capability and capacity to actually shut down unwanted immune responses. Perhaps most uh, uh, idiotypically in patients that have a defect in these cells called IPEX patients, um, they'll usually die within a year or two of massive autoimmune and, and allergic responses unless they get a bone marrow transplant uh, from a, a mother or father that... Um, that uh, gives them back their Treg population. So these cells are really essential to controlling tolerance in the immune system and preventing immune cells from attacking and destroying cell tissue. You see these potentially addressing large populations of people with autoimmune and degenerative diseases. Potentially, how big a market are we talking about? And and how effective are we today at treating these conditions? Yeah, certainly um, this is a very big bucket, um, ranging everything from rheumatoid arthritis to uh, multiple sclerosis, type 1 diabetes, and over 80 other autoimmune diseases. 
uh, up through and including degenerative diseases like ALS, potentially Alzheimer's or even Parkinson's disease. And the reason is, is that so many of these diseases are mediated by uncontrolled inflammation. People don't fully appreciate the fact that the immune system is playing an active role in a variety of, of diseases outside of the more classic immune diseases. So when you think about market potential, it's almost impossible to, um, to, to ferret out what the actual size will be. In reality, of course, um, these cells are going to be used first in diseases that are highly morbid, and potentially have a strong unmet medical need either as a disease class or as individuals. And we hope to start out in diseases that are clearly uh, fall within that, um, that rubric. But ultimately, one can imagine cell therapies being a new pillar of medicine where you can think about them in a variety of immunological settings where you want to give a treatment once or a couple of times and then have a long-term living drug that will... Um, suppress unwanted inflammatory responses. You've talked about the ability of these cells to restore balance to the immune system. What happens in these conditions and should they be viewed as immune systems being out of balance? Absolutely. That's exactly um, what happens. And, and how it starts is a combination of genetics uh, and some general environmental insults, whether it be infections or metabolism, and the population of cells that are responding to a foreign um, protein, um, be it a virus or a bacteria, often um, get out of control and start responding to self-tissues. And this inability to control or balance the immune system is key because the immune system has to be able to recognize everything foreign and destroy it, but at the same time protect itself from recognizing self-tissue. Inflammation is really important because it initiates an immune response that, um, that helps to eliminate foreign substances. But when out of control, inflammation causes its own damage. We're seeing that now in COVID-19, where the coronavirus initiates an immune response, which is critical for its elimination. But as a consequence, there is damage that's being caused to the lungs, heart, and other tissues because the immune system and the inflammation as a consequence of an immune system response is not being regulated well. So yes, the whole concept of immune tolerance and immune balance is to be able to balance this high need for effector responses with the regulation and control that cells like Tregs provide. What makes a disease a good candidate for a Treg therapy approach? Yeah, it's certainly um, one has to be very careful and, and not over, over hype or oversell. So you really want to work on diseases where there's good both preclinical evidence and evidence in patients that the Treg population itself is not functioning well. Either there are reduced numbers of those cells, which are found in certain diseases like type 1 diabetes and uh, rheumatoid arthritis and MS. There's often seen um, some functional defects in these cells that are monitored in some of these autoimmune settings. And so as long as we use a good precision medicine approach where we use these cells in patients that show evidence for de defects in this population, either qualitative or quantitative, I think we'll have the most chance of success.
you've said self therapy is really the next major medicine, but it's hard. What makes it hard? Is it the development, the delivery, the manufacturing, or, or something else? Yeah, it's it's a little bit uh, all of the above, but I think the most important part of it is the characterization of the drug. So when we think about a small molecule as a therapeutic, we can take that bunch of carbons and fluorines and oxygens, and we can run it on an HBLC or some machine and know that the molecule that we make today is exactly the same as the molecule we're going to make next year and the year after. But when we're thinking about cell therapy, um, first of all, we're talking autologous. So the cells are coming out of the patient themselves, at least for a lot of the programs that are being done. And so making sure that the cells that we're working with are the same each time, that the product that we make is the same each time, that the critical attributes of that product are definable and we know what it is in a cell that's critical for its its uh, its medicinal activity is is really a, a challenge. And what we need to do as a community is to build out um, a scaffold that allows us to be able to monitor these products like, like we do small molecules and biological products like monoclonal antibodies so that we know that what we're putting back in the patient's uh, are what we think they are. It becomes a particular challenge with things like regulatory T cells because they are what we call polypharmaceuticals. They have a number of activities, not just those that I've alluded to that suppress inflammation, but they also have tissue repair activities, which are critical and likely to be important in some therapeutics. So we have to make sure that this multiple functional activities of these cells is preserved during our manipulation so that the cells we're putting back in the patients, if they were defective, it's repaired and, um, and that the cells go back and it's, it's good. Then layer on top of that, the fact that these uh, manufacturing efforts are currently largely done by human beings, uh, which make it expensive, um, and that we are now just getting to the point that we're able to think about producing large numbers of cells and, and thinking about therapies where we don't have to use autologous, but actually can make one drug to treat different patients. At that point, I think it'll become a much more um, uh, available therapeutic uh, to be used. You were heading the Parker Institute and working on immunology when you left to start Sonoma Biotherapeutics. You're an accomplished researcher. What enticed you to head a startup? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so I've been at the interface of basic science and translational research for, for much of my career, having been involved at some level with the development of multiple drugs now that have found their way uh, into the clinic and in some cases uh, approved for human use. And what I've learned over that time is it's, it's a very challenging and difficult road to get there, one that becomes even uh, more challenging if, um, if, if others are, being, are the responsible parties always to, to do it. One drug I've been working on for 33 years, and maybe we'll cross the finish line um, this year. So um, when I was thinking about this new area of research that my lab was involved in and helped to pioneer, um, I was thinking about how do we actually get it out there in a way that we can build a product that can help patients and that can potentially um, treat and, and cure disease. 
And I was at a meeting actually at the Parker Institute that I had set up a retreat and we had a panel discussion by venture capitalists and we asked them a, a variety of questions. And one person in particular um, who was uh, at a venture firm that invested in both uh, technology companies and biotech companies, I asked him, um, are there differences between biotech and tech? And he said, oh, yeah, there's lots of differences. But he says the biggest difference is that whoever uh, founds a tech company always moves to that company to make sure that their vision is uh, is realized, whereas the biotech guys, they never go into the companies. They stay in their tenured faculty positions in academia, and then they hope that the company will do what they want and are often frustrated when it drifts. And uh, I walked out of there and I said, you know, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to really push the idea that we're building a new type of medicine, a new type of therapy for patients, that if I really believe in it, I need to go all in. And so I decided to go all in. You've completed a, a $70 million Series A. How far do you expect the funding to take you? Yeah, so we're um, obviously gearing up to do a number of clinical trials, and it, it's in those clinical trials where a lot of the money is spent. So the timing of getting those clinical trials up and running will determine our runway. But we certainly, uh, like in all biotech companies, are already thinking about uh, how do we raise our Series B at a sufficiently high level to keep us going for a few more years beyond uh, what this money will take us. You've also announced some key hires. How have you gone about assembling a team? Yeah, I, I think you've raised, you're raising a key question. Your, your company is never going to be uh, as good as the people who are in it. And um, the people who are in Sonoma are fantastic. And I know coming into this uh, endeavor, the things that I think I can do well and the many things that I know that I need a lot to learn. So it was critical for me to bring in People, people who had tremendous expertise on the business side and Peter DeLora, the CBO and strategic uh, chief of strategy is great at that. I needed a great CMO to do the clinical development. I'm a PhD myself and Lenny Dragon is a fantastic background for doing that. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to spend the time um, every day on the science that I did when I ran my lab. And so Fred Ramsdell, uh, who was my chief scientific officer at the Parker Institute, came along with me. So those three, plus now several people at the vice at the, at the vice presidential level, have been fantastic hires, and we're really fortunate to have these people on board. You haven't unveiled a pipeline. This is very broadly applicable technology. What's the thought process in prioritizing indications to pursue? Yeah, I think first and foremost for us always is the science. Does the science drive this indication in this this patient population as the uh, most appropriate one um, for our early clinical endeavors? And and so we're spending a lot of time making sure that what I mentioned earlier on, the direct biological evidence that a Treg is defective in a patient population is believable and reliable, and that's determining uh, to a great extent what our first indications uh, are likely to be. Cell therapies are not only complex, but expensive. You're pursuing the use of these therapies outside of patients with deadly conditions, but with chronic conditions. Are these cell therapies expected to be corrective? Is it a one and done? How, how will they change the long-term need for chronic treatments? Yeah, again, time time will tell, but um, cell therapies are living drugs. 
when we now know from the cancer space and and to some extent a colleague of mine working in the HIV space for years called June falls can um, can um, survive quite uh, quite long time decades. And so we believe that given the right cell and the right patient population, that one or maybe uh, a couple of treatments might be sufficient to create um, a tolerogenic setting where the disease does not reoccur. And if it were to, like in a vaccine setting, if they were to come back up, the cells are there to be able to shut that um, disease back down. I think the critical question is making sure that we have the best in class cell um, targeting the disease that we want to target quite specifically and effectively. And, and I hope at the end of the day, what we'll find is that although these therapies are more expensive um, to make right now, that the fact that you're not going to have to take them chronically like you do many of the drugs in the autoimmunity space um, will lead to a really cost-effective therapy in the long run. Obviously, this is early days for the company, but at what point do you expect to start building an economic case for these therapies and engaging with payers? Or is this just a concern that's not being thought about today? You know, we always think about it. Um, I think that as we build out our manufacturing capability and some of our platform, we take into account the fact that the cost of goods uh, will matter. It'll matter to the patients and the payers uh, for sure. Um, but we are not um, focused on that as our primary uh, effort right now. Right now, we need to demonstrate that we can produce this drug safely and effectively, that we can administer it to patients and show um, biologic and clinical effects. Uh, like the Wright brothers when they built their first airplanes, I'm not sure they were worried about whether airlines were going to buy their planes. They were worried about, are they going to fly uh, and how well are they going to fly? And so we're really focused on that right now, knowing that the whole community of cell therapy companies, we're not the only ones out there, are all thinking about the long-term economics. And we'll expect a number of advances on the manufacturing side and uh, and goods and, and, and supply chain side that should help bring these costs down pretty rapidly. Jeff Bluestone, founder and president and CEO of Sonoma Biotherapeutics. Jeff, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.